Maybe it's just me, but I feel like, at least on my cable system, that Shawshank Redemption, Talladega Nights, and Gladiator is on a continual movie doom loop. Am I, I don't know if you're on the dish or what you have, but am, am I the only one? You kind of feel every time you turn on the tube the last 10 years, one of those three movies will be played. But I caught myself the other day, finally, I just, I just submitted to it. I just said, okay, all right, I'll watch one. So I'll watch a little, some scenes from Gladiator. Wow, I forgot how great Gladiator was. Young people, if you've not seen Gladiator, Go see Gladiator. Watch it, okay? Just, just watch it. It's a phenomenal movie. It's epic. really is. Uh, but Gladiator has a scene in it, a couple of scenes like this, where the main hero in the, in the story, his name is Maximus. And Maximus was a guy who used to be one of the key generals for the Roman army. Then a new government came in, a new leader, and he cast Maximus out, made him a slave, and eventually as a slave he became a gladiator where he would go into these arenas and literally have to fight life and death for his life. But there's a scene in there, gladiator, where he comes out and he has his fellow gladiators with him and they're gathered in the middle of the arena. There are thousands of people yelling and screaming, waiting to see this blood sport take place. There are these cages that surround them everywhere. And, and they don't know what's going to come out of those cages. They're just in the middle of the arena. And it may be lions and tigers and bears, oh my. It may be other people on church. They don't know what's going to come out and get them. They're literally surrounded as they are in the middle of the arena in a life and death crisis situation. Now, that's the context that we've been looking at the last several weeks as we've been engaging in this book we call the book of Psalms. We've talked about David and how David is in the middle of a crisis. The words we just read together in our time of scripture reading were written by David. He is, he is surrounded by all kinds of problems, by political problems. He's surrounded by occupational problems, and he's surrounded by family problems. His son Absalom has rebelled against him, left the house, kicked him out of the palace. David is on the run. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. He doesn't know if he's going to survive or not. And, and, and during this time, he writes Psalm 3 and the psalm we just read, Psalm 4. He is in the middle of a crisis. He is in the middle of a big, hot mess. So that's where we start today, is smack dab in the messy middle. The painful yet promising middle. So what are we to do? What did David do in this incredibly difficult, painful situation that he was in? Well, we just read about it in Psalm chapter 4, verses 1 and 3. The first thing he did was what? In the middle, he cried out to God. 
He cried out to God. And what did he cry out for? He said, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on my situation. And about a year ago, I was, I was driving up here on a Sunday morning, really early. The sun was not up yet. And I'd parked my car out there, and I was listening on the radio. And there was this guy preaching and teaching about the divine mercy of God. Now, I don't know why in the world I was listening to it. I don't know who this person was. I tried to track him down. But this little eight-minute clip that I listened to was all about the divine mercy, the divine mercy, the divine mercy. So for the past year, when I pray for myself, pray for my family, pray for other situations here, I pray for God's mercy. Mercy. Mercy is a request to God to act towards us on the basis of a sacrifice that's been previously made. We're not asking for justice. We're not asking for a quid pro quo. No, no, no. We're asking for mercy. And David had lived long enough. He had walked through the middle of so many battles. He knew that the right cry and the cry that God answers is that prayer for divine mercy. It said here in in verse 3 that people were spreading lies about him. People were blowing up the internet in David's day and they were spreading slanders and lies and half-truths about him and he had no control over that. No control whatsoever. So he cries out to God. God help, God have mercy upon me. So if we find ourselves stuck in the messy middle of life, stuck in the big hot mess of a crisis, The first thing we're to do is to cry out, God, have mercy. God, help. That's what he does in the middle. But we also know that when we're in the middle, by the way, how many of you are literally in the middle? You're a middle child, raise your hand. I, I like how the middle, you know, by the way, I'm middle, so I can, we, I can make fun of us together, right? We're in the middle, right? Many of you are, are, are in the middle, okay? When I was a little kid, I went to, in sixth and seventh grade, I went to E.L. Wright Middle School. And I never figured out, a little slow, why they called it middle school, but then I thought about it this week. I'm serious, I'm, I'm not joking. Oh, it's in, <laughs> it's in the middle between first and 12th grade. Middle school, Okay. So back to the middle, right? The middle of this message, okay? David is in the middle. David is in crisis. Maybe you're in the middle. And when you're in the middle and and you've been through a lot and you're right here and you don't know what's ahead, there's so much uncertainty, it's difficult to sleep. It's really difficult to sleep. So you toss and turn and toss and turn And that's what David was doing until he did this next thing we we see in the passage. Is that he turned it over to God. Look at verse 4. It said, tremble or be angry. A lot of people say, I like that verse. Be angry, tremble, but do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. 
It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be afraid, but you don't want to sleep on your anger. You don't want to sleep on your anger. You want to do something with it. In this case, what did David do? What do we need to do in the middle? We need to turn it over to God. God, I give you my anger. God, I give you my fear. God, I give you my anxiety, my worry right here in the middle. And I want to be at peace and I want to be silent and hear you speak to me. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's what Christ said. So I'm going to put the crisis of the day away. It may be there tomorrow, but that's okay because right now I'm going to rest in God. I'm going to cast these things upon him. I'm going to trust in him, turn them over to him in the middle. There's a God who had a very bad relationship with his father. His father had rejected him, and his father was just, just really angry. And so the son was trying to sleep, kind of go to bed, and it was like one night in silence, it's like God spoke to him and, and, and said, He's not angry, He's afraid. Your father's not angry, he's afraid. And that word just opened up a whole new window for him in that relationship, a whole new level of, of insight as he prayed and was silent and waited on God. So, in the middle, in the big hot mess of the middle and the crisis in life, we cry out to God as David did, and we also turn it over to him. Not the responsibility. That's our responsibility to take action and the challenge. Many times we ask God to do things that he's probably not going to do, that we have to do ourselves through his strength. But we don't carry the burden, the anxiety, and the fear around with us. We turn that over and cast that upon God. What's the next thing he did in the middle? David obeyed God. He obeyed God. See, it said, offer sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. To trust in God is to obey God. If you say, man, I trust in God. I believe in God. But do you follow him? Do you obey and follow what he tells you to do? And, and, and here's, here, here's an important tension. We obey God because God knows what's best. Our heavenly father knows what's best. So we follow him in obedience, not to earn God's favor, not to earn God's grace and mercy. That's impossible. But we do that out of gratitude and because he knows best. It's like, you know, you get presents sometimes or you got something for Christmas and new technology or something and you just open it up and you kind of, maybe if you're like, I mean, you just kind of glance at the instructions and go, I got this. And you start trying to put it together, you know, like a donut brain. That's what I do. And then I got to go back to the instructions. Oh, I'm going to have to read the instructions. Maybe the person who designed this product knows more about it than me. Just Maybe. Maybe the person who designed and made you knows more about your life, knows more about 
the middle of your mess than you do, maybe you have to go back to the instruction manual, his word, and say, God, what do I need to do next? What's my next step of obedience? Because so many times when we're in the middle of a big hot mess, when we're in the middle of a crisis, we want God to do something now. Right now. Right now, change the circumstance. Right now, change this person. Right now, change my emotion. Right now, fix my, we, we want now. Now. And, and sometimes God does, boom, he does intervene. But most of the time, God works at his desired pace. Frederick Nietzsche, not the greatest Christian that ever lived, said this. He wasn't a Christian. All that matters is long obedience in the same direction. That's good. All that matters is long obedience, following God in the same direction. I'm in the middle. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of emotions, fear and anxiety and pain, just like David. But God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to cry out for mercy in the middle. I'm going to turn over the stuff I'm carrying around. I'm going to turn it over to you. And when I take it back, I'm going to turn it over again. And when I take it back, I'm going to turn it over to you. And then I'm simply going to follow you. And next up, next step, next step, follow you in obedience and watch you work in me and through my life. Chardin puts it this way. He says, above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient at everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. Trust in the slow work of God. Don't panic. Everybody calm down. There's good news there. there there's good news for us in the middle, in the slow motion middle. Because after further review, after further review, we start to realize, okay, when Noah was floating in that boat, in that massive flood that would make Houston blush without any doggy bags, God was with Noah in that flood, in that crisis. When Moses was leading his people 
out of slavery in Egypt trying to make it through. And he was being chased with people with real weapons, not a balloon. When he was going through, God parted the Red Sea right smack dab in the middle. So God was with them in the middle of their freedom to set them free. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown in the fire because they wouldn't worship false gods, Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire, saw a fourth figure, and they came out alive out of that fiery situation because God was with them in the fire. So after further review, of the slow work of God, we realize that God owns the middle. He owns the middle. He can redeem the middle. He can restore us and empower us and change our lives and our character moment by moment, day by day in the middle of the big mess. And then, curious, huh? John chapter 19, verse 18, look at it there. They crucified him with two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Redemption happened in the middle. It looked like the worst crime and injustice in the history of the world. But God was working in the middle to die, to restore, to shed his life and suffer that we can be forgiven, that we can know him and be empowered in our own messy middle. God owns the middle. He owns the middle. There are two criminals there, right? One, One on his left, one on his right, and one said, I don't need you. And the other one said, I need you. Help me, have mercy on me. Can't you imagine about four days later, this one criminal is walking around heaven in his orange jumpsuit? And of course, Peter probably confronts him. You know, Peter, what are you doing here? And the guy with the criminal says, I don't know. The man in the middle said I could come in. Right? Yeah. If we trust in him, one day we all have our own orange jumpsuits. We're not any better than that thief on the cross. No, we're not. We're all going to walk around in our orange jumpsuits and our boots without shoelaces going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. The man in the middle has rescued me. He has forgiven me. By his grace, by his mercy. Look at the next page, quickly. John 20, 19, Jesus came. This is after he died. He came and stood among them in the middle of them and said, peace be with you. 
Or as David wrote, may the light of his countenance shine upon you and give you peace. So he came off the cross, was put in the tomb. He came up out of the grave alive from the dead and he spoke peace to his disciples there in the middle of the room. God works in the messy middle. God redeems us many times in the messy middle, but God also through his resurrection power gives us life and peace and joy. It's amazing, isn't it? You got the Bible, right? You get Genesis in the beginning, God created. Genesis 3, in that beginning, man and woman messed it all up. And then in Revelation, you have everything's going to get better. God's going to restore this place. God's going to make everything brand new and even better. But in the middle, we've got to live in that middle, don't we? But in the middle, he's given us the Psalms, right? Right there in the middle of the Bible. Right there in the middle of our life. Right there in the middle of our crisis. That we can cry out and call out to God and watch him work. Thank you for the clap. Yes. Amazing. It's amazing. God works in the middle. God owns the middle. And there's more, there's more good news, but I want to wrap this up in just a few minutes. We're, we're going to beat the Methodists and the Catholics to the cafeteria, so just hold on. But I remember in that gladiator movie that's on a continual loop, as they're waiting to figure out what's going to come out behind one of those cages and attack them as they're in the middle, Maximus says, we will do better if we stick together. But if we don't stick together, we don't have a chance. So they bounded together and they were able to defeat these enemies, which they were outmanned by because they were together. And the good news is God has allowed us all to do life together in this community and this church. We need each other. We need each other. So when we're in the messy middle, I can be there for you. You can be there for me. We can speak truth and love and hope and joy to each other to help us to experience God's love, power, and grace and mercy in the middle. In the middle. And that's good news. All right. That's it. Let's pray.